Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Imagine Publicity on Air on the Inside Lens Network. Um, I'm Delilah Jones, uh, president and owner of Imagine Publicity. This is a little different um, show format that we're doing today. We have two very, very esteemed guests, and I'm so happy to have them on board to have a conversation and that's what it's all about, getting to know people through the through the conversation. And I could spend half the show highlighting all of Dottie Lester's accomplishments, but I think I'll just hit on what she's currently doing. <laughs> she's she's obviously a nationally known um, advocate for victims of human trafficking. She's located, rescued, and restored hundreds of victims over the years that she's been in this um, issue. She's appeared on numerous television shows, consulted on several motion pictures and high profile cases. So when the call came to from the Heidi Search Center for someone to fill the position of executive director, she answered the call. Her work with missing persons is bringing her talents to another level of understanding of the epidemic of our youth being lured into trafficking and becoming a missing person. Recently, she became a licensed private investigator and founded the Texas Institute of Investigation, along with um, another private investigator, Mark Gillespie. The two of them are collaborating on a working lab for investigators teaching highly specialized skills. And her guest is Francis Book. I hope I am saying that correctly. Francis was born in Sudan. And his father was a tribal leader. Uh, Francis was loved as a child and told that he had a very, very important future. Um, In a raid on his village, Francis was captured and kidnapped to be enslaved from the age of seven until 17. That's a long time. After Francis fled to Egypt, he received refugee status and came to the United States. He wrote a book traveled a lecture series, and was on a panel at Harvard's Kennedy School for Government. He then advised U.S. leaders such as Colin Powell and President Bush. This led to a new government of South Sudan being formed, and Francis was able to return to his home and help the newest country in the world become established. He's since returned to Boston, and he's available for speeches and advocacy. Um, welcome aboard, you two. I mean, this is like powerhouse here. <laughs> and uh, I am now going to turn the reins over to you, Dottie, who who is also an accomplished radio host. So I know everyone's going to enjoy this. Well, thank you so much, Delilah. It's always a joy to be um, collaborating and even a thrill and an exciting adventure um, to introduce uh, you to Francis. And uh, Francis, good, good, good afternoon, I guess. We're in the afternoon, morning, evening, somewhere, no matter what time of day it is. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have you here. Indeed. It is afternoon here in Boston and Massachusetts and Eastern uh, standard time in East Coast. Uh, thank you so very much for having me, and I want to thank sincerely our host for having us on the show and for the opportunity for me to get to greet all my friends online and those who will be listening and to 
just had this opportunity to interact with you. Thank you. Well, I am so amazed at the way our lives bump into each other, and they have for many years. You were the first event that I ever held in 2003 to start my career in combating slavery. And um, throughout the last 14 years, we keep bumping into each other, and, and today is no different. It's another day that our work has intersected, and, and um, I think it'll provide us both a trajectory forward for this 2017 year. Yes. Um, I, you know, Daddy, I, as I've always been saying privately to people like yourself and a good friend of mine also in somewhere in Florida, Michelle Gillen, uh, those who have been working tirelessly um, rescuing uh, the victim of human trafficking and other um, inhuman practices. Uh, you have been such um, a great agent of positive change. You have done so much, and I still remember the 2003 when we first time met in um, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I remember specifically at the San Mary University, and since then, I never really uh, changed uh, from not keeping contact with you because I was moved and really inspired by what you're doing as individual and what you were doing mobilizing uh, Americans from all walks of life to really uh, support victims like myself who was also um, got this freedom through after multiple attempts uh, in in, in, in in captivity in my former uh, country, uh, Sudan. Now I'm no longer a Sudanese. Something I need to correct, by the way, because I'm not. I'm not just for the record. I was born in South Sudan in a village called Dorian, uh, in southern Sudan. Then uh, we used to be a region within the country of Sudan, the biggest country in Africa. Then, in 2011, uh, South Sudan have gained uh, its own independence, uh, becoming the world's newest uh, state number 193rd in the world and number 54th in the continent of Africa, by which I went back home to celebrate that uh, uh, great achievement for my people after many, many uh, decades of struggle and marginalization. So this is just for the record why I'm a South Sudanese and, of course, a South Sudanese-American now since I became naturalized South Sudanese in this country after my arrival. And I think that's such a miracle because, you know, when we met, it was not possible for you to return. It it wasn't. It wasn't because Sudan then is still one country, and Sudan then is still heavily using uh, slavery, and slavery was legalized in Sudan where hundreds of thousands of South Sudanese young boys and young girls and other young adults had been taken to slavery and all form of slavery when we talk slavery is actually it is in a broad uh, you know uh, term when you say because there are people who are forced uh, for no pay under threat of violence these are the form of slavery uh, because these men who are physically who can be kept to do the farm work do them uh, freely and young ones like us were forced to attend to the cattles, 
Uh, that also work without pay under threat of violence. If you skip, you will be killed or chop off your legs or your arms. And I have witnessed many victims. And, and girls, this is the hardest part that I always um, don't talk about in details because these young girls are being either being used as a wife and some are being abused in all form of abuse. And these were the practices that the Sudanese government allows uh, the own tribe men, Arab Bagara or Arab Muralin, or they became so famous in the name of Jinjawit. These are the same people uh, with a different um, name to confuse uh, the whole world or to confuse even the people within the, the same country. And, and these people are being given a free will to abuse and to suppress and oppress and marginalize um, South Sudanese and other uh, people like in Blue Nile, uh, which is a part of, of, of Sudan and, and, and Nuba Mountain. Uh, and uh, now it's been turned against the people of Darfur in western of Sudan. So uh, I was lucky uh, after uh, many years in captivity uh, to skip a dangerous uh, move that I have decided I wasn't, uh, you know, willing to. To, to stay anymore. So I, I, I escaped and I was successful uh, in my last attempt, which was the third one after the first. I, I tried to escape immediately when I was brought there in 1986. A few years later, I realized that uh, I was in the wrong uh, place with the wrong people that practiced complete a different uh, culture, including religion. And I was actually asked to also practice Islamic prayers and convert into it. Although I was not uh, treated equally like any other human being, um, I was isolated from the people. I don't play with the children. My job was always to pay attention to the cattle and goats. And that's the job that I do. I only take orders for my master and his wife and the family members. And sometimes, you know, uh, have to endure it. Um, a daily beating, a beating that without any guilt, and I cannot ask questions. Uh, so, why? And mm, yes. Let me go back. So um, you were literally scooped up during a raid, tied to a horse, and taken away to a place you'd never known, away from your family, your village, every person you knew, and then forced to be the the sole labor of hundreds of different animals. Is that correct? Yes. This happened in 1986 um, in the village of of, of Nyumlel. Uh, Nyumlel is a small town. I remember when these Arab raiders uh, came to the market, storming the market, and just launched shooting randomly on people that were in the marketplace and running after uh, gathering all these young boys and young girls as a property uh, because this is what the Sudanese government told them then. You go to south, southern Sudan, it was a region then, uh, raid the village, take whatever property is there, it is yours to compensate your own self, including taking uh, children uh, to northern Sudan to become slaves. And some get converted to Islam. Some uh, many things happen, including what I just described previously. So basically, uh, that was uh, 
how I got into the hand of uh, Jim Abdullah, who became uh, my father, who asked me to call him Abui. Abui means uh, a father in, in Arabic. So, and I was serving uh, him, a gentleman of, of uh, who I never appreciate the work, the labor that I have um, done for him and caring for his goats and caring for his uh, cattle, including camels. Uh, he never appreciated anything, and I never got compensated for anything for any year, uh, for whatsoever. You know, I was just there at his property, using me as his tool uh, to do whatever uh, work for him without pay, because he went there, and, he was, and I was his gift. You know, he participated in the race, and, and that's what the gift he had got. It was me to do the work for him, until I realized later to skip. And just to clarify, the government had supported those raids and encouraged them and even provided um, support and cover for them. Yes. Uh, then the Sudanese government was uh, behind all the atrocities and behind all uh, other horrific things that happened to the southern Sudanese because they issued them, the Sudanese government capitalizes that uh, the because South Sudan and South Sudanese are predominantly uh, Christian believers and other uh, traditional believers, animists. And because of that uh, Christianity, uh, Sudan conflict then was termed as a religion a conflict, of which in South Sudan has never been the reason for us in South Sudan when we picked up the army in 1983 to fight against um, the Sudanese uh, regime in Khartoum, uh, the NCB National Congress Party and INF uh, National Islamic Front, uh, the, the the fight that the South Sudan launched to fight against Sudan then was to liberate themselves to become an independent country, because Sudan never really represent us. It never represent our values. Uh, we always being treated as a second class in our own country. We don't have uh, a free worship of our religion, Christian, and other uh, traditional um, uh, thing that we believe in, uh, including we never have equal rights to have jobs and even go to the same schools. So our people were being segregated, and that was the reason uh, the late uh, uh, Dr. John Garang, who was the the, the leader uh, movement of the uh, founder of the SPLA, SPLM, um, picked up the arms in 1993 and mobilized South Sudanese in uh, 1983 and mobilized South Sudanese to fight for their rights until recently, uh, some years ago, in 2011, uh, we got our independence. So it was a long struggle. That was the reason. But Khartoum was using the propaganda uh, that, you know, using even the people that are poor again is the South Sudanese in the name of religion. Uh, and I think we uh, we, we appreciate uh, the, the, the world community, and particularly the American and American people, the even Anglican groups, um, all the Christian domination who have actually come to our rescue because they felt that their Christian brothers and sisters were actually uh, being um, subject to all things that happened to us. And through them, that's why I had an opportunity to come to this country. That's how I got my second uh, chance at life, 
to, to be in America and to relive my dreams again. And the same thing to every South Sudanese that come to USA or went to Canada or Australia or UK or any other country in Europe. It is through that status. Christian community felt that, you know, uh, we can be guilty. We can sit and watch while Christians are being uh, murdered. And that's why we were actually uh, given refugee status to go to this country that I just described. So let's explain just a little bit. Um, so you've been taken, literally just scooped up and taken from your family. Mm-hmm. You're taken mm-hmm. to be someone's school, a man you don't know. You're living mm-hmm. in this barn, as I remember. And after all that, he takes away your religion. Can you explain you know, a, a bit of detail of what would happen. Um, you know, he, I, I read your book, so I understand what he did, but explain for our listeners what that meant. I mean, he told you, you cannot be Christian. This was a brutally uh, a man who have his uh, or their own mindsets who believe that they are People like me, uh, people of not just my tribe, but Southern Sudanese, then do not have the same equal rights, even though, you know, in Bible it's very clear that God created all of us equal. So he, he, was, he dehumanized me, denying me all the basic access, the basic rights, including religion, because uh, the name Francis, I did not got it when I was, older for when I came to America. It was my Christian name that was given to me right when I was born because my parents are Christian, are Catholic. And I remember we have our Catholic church that is still standing in Yongleo, in, in, in South Sudan, in Southern Sudan then. So basically um, he converted me to Islam and, and he actually uh, forced me to call him Abui, uh, a father. And also forced me um, to worship Islamic prayer and perform Islamic prayers five times a day. And also um, uh, being uh, isolated from the people. So I, I was wondering, asking myself many questions. If you love someone and you want someone to do things like the thing he has actually forced me to do, why Why they also uh, denying me to socialize with his own children and to even have an opportunity to ask questions? He only gave me directives, what to do, but I cannot ask a question whatsoever. And that has been very tough, and that's made my mind to believe that no matter how hard I work, I will never please this gentleman, and I will never please anybody in his house. And, of course, I will never please um, uh, their mindsets because they, they look at us as we are not human enough uh, to be sincere. And so you're, and seven, that, you're seven years old when this starts, and I want our listeners to understand. Look at look at their own kids at seven, and realize what's happening to Francis. He's seven. He has been dis- detached, ripped, torn from everything he knew and made to work under threat of severe beatings and starvation. And then, if that wasn't enough, then the last thing, which was the hope, the love of your parents, the love of God, 
that was keeping you alive, he tried to yeah. take that as well. Um, because uh, this is very true, Daddy. I appreciate for reminding me of these details. I remember, you know, without God, and that's why I believe, and, uh, I, you know, I used to pray every night, um, and every morning I woke up, and I always used to say, God, I love my parents. I want to see them again, and and I, and I want to survive. I don't want to die, and I don't want to be hurt also because there are many other kids that have been tortured, and torturing is very, they, they sometimes imbalance you. They can chop up one of your legs and chop up one of your arms so that you don't have uh, that strength again to run away because many kids attempt to skip like what I did. It was a very risky one. But it's just your luck. If they caught you sometime, they can kill you or torture you so that you don't attempt anymore. So it was through God, really, uh, who saved me and later on delivered me uh, to, to to the freedom. and. Um, and that's why I always mention God a lot in in, in my talk. It's just uh, it is through Him. It's just a miracle. I, I I could have not got out. There are kids who are still there, even though South Sudan become an independent uh, country of its own today. There are still many kids uh, who become now adults. Who become now we don't even know. They have changed their names. They, they brainwash them. They they are somewhere in northern Sudan that have been, uh, you know, become a, 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 a property of the other men's property of other human beings, uh, I should say. So that that is the magnitude what really happened in Sudan then. As of now, I don't know. South Sudan become a country of its own. The only question remains, though, is that when did Sudan... Peace Act was signed. The, the bill that actually uh, is a treaty that brought the Sudanese government and our rebel movement then to sign peace and forge a way to independence, referendum and independence in 2011. The peace was signed in 2005, and nothing was mentioned about these slaves. Nothing was mentioned that the slaves will be returned back. Uh, the Sudanese government will seek where these children are and the other women's and being taken back, except the CSI, Christian Solidarity International, uh, under John Abner and uh, many other, including Agnes, um, Heidi uh, McGinnis, uh, who's in Colorado working, doing redemption mission through uh, local chiefs and also uh, local Arab uh, traditional chiefs also who are negotiating and getting buying out these children. Something that I didn't support it, but I felt that it was also helpful since there's somebody going to come and pay for you to get out. But it's very risky those who do it. So there are many, many uh, young women then and young boys at the age early in 80s and even in 90s uh, uh, are still in, in, in bondage as we speak today. And we don't know the effects, whether they will be free and or they become their own property forever. So it's very sad. And I think it's really interesting to point out. So there's been nonprofit groups going in, doing various efforts to either free, buy, or rescue enslaved people. Yet when there was an agreement for peace, that was not addressed at all. There was no agreement. I mean, even in Vietnam, 
our agreement was to return certain captives and whether they abided by it or not was was uh, debatable but it was addressed and you're saying that in this case they were never addressed all the people and children were just erased yes so this is this is one of the reasons that uh, after I gained my freedom and being here in the USA, I, I said to myself, I cannot rest until my people are free or less. And I also said, you know, for 10 years in captivity, I used to lie awake at night and wonder who will come and free me. And I believe the same thing even as we sit here today. In, in comfort, in freedom and comfort, there are many uh, thousands and millions and hundreds of thousands in my former country, Sudan, who many slaves are still alive awake at night and wonder who will come and free them. And I think this is even happening in our own soil, those who come here under uh, different circumstances. As I mentioned, slavery is a different form, including those who trick children or trick other adults, disadvantaged adults, to bring them here in the name of a better job and better life. And when they get here, they confiscate their documents and threatening them under violence. If they report or anything, they will be killed or their parents. So these are the things that are still exist in our world today. And we cannot shut up, although someone like me is no longer in slavery. But I, the memories of what, how it actually looked like and how you feel it, you know, when you are there, is still lingering back on my mind. And I cannot turn my back on the million of men and women and children who are still yet to be free. And, and I'm happy to, to really work with the people like you, uh, Dottie Lancer, and many that have the same concern. To, to, to speak out, to be the voice of the voiceless. So, um, well, that's true. Yes, none, go ahead. Of, none of us are free when slavery is occurring. And, you know, that's been said and repeated through history. And whether it's the children in Sudan or a teenager here being sold on Backpage or, uh, you know, an immigrant in forced labor at a restaurant, they all touch us and we are all missing the beauty of their lives much like yours. I mean, for it could have gone either way for you. We could never know you. Your sons could have never been born. Um, your speeches could have never happened. And all those people were missing in our lives. And the enslavers that get away with this, whether it's the man that enslaved you in Sudan who got totally scot-free, nothing happened to him, or the pimp that's taking a child and benefiting from her for sex, when they get away with it, they only get emboldened to repeat it and repeat it. And pretty soon, even you and I aren't safe. And people that don't even know about slavery aren't safe. And I think that's something that may be missed. People may think, well, it's not going to touch me. But in the world that I live in, it very often does touch people who never dreamed it would happen to them. And I know your parents did not believe it would happen to you. They did not raise you for this. They had very different dreams for you. Yes, I think you best describe it. I think uh, none of us can ever feel free uh, if 
your neighbor, if someone in your village, in your neighborhood, in your country, in your region, you name it, uh, when they are not free, then all of us are not free. And this is one of the reasons thousands and thousands and thousands of miles from my home and birth country to the United States, the free, the world free country, with all the privileges that I'm enjoying here, I did not forget where I came from. I did not forget what happened to me uh, when I was still there because in 1996, Dottie, if you invited me, I would have not been here because I was still in, in bondage. I was still struggling to get away. I was still lying awake at night and wonder who would come and free me. So I thank God that I made it here, and that's why I thank American people from all walks of life, government in particular. I want to thank the former administration of George W. Bush Jr., who gave us a second chance, a life to relive our dreams again, and who actually uh, specifically invited me to White House, not once, but twice, meeting with all these great people, you know, Melvin Albright, uh, Condoleezza Rice, uh, you know, Colin Powell and George W. Bush twice. It, this was an incredible opportunity for me as a former slave to meet this um, most regarded, you know, leaders of the United States of America and the world. And I want to thank them because through them I was able to be here. Through them I was able to share my story, which have actually helped to speak on behalf of those who did not have an opportunity like me to be in America or be free to speak about their own ordeals and plight. So uh, there is a lot to be done, and uh, I'm happy that uh, people like you and radio like this giving us a platform to share these emotional stories because they have to be repeated. They have to be told every day. And we have to remind ourselves that as we sit in comfort and freedom, not everybody enjoying the same freedom. Not everybody eating uh, three meals a day and snack in between. Not everybody having access to schooling. Not everybody having access to everything and every God-giving right. There are millions and millions of men and women, whether in the United States or other country or in Asia, in Africa or Middle East, you name it. And particularly in the issue of Sudan and South Sudan I just described, they need our attention. And I think what you're saying is really relevant at this time, because if I remember talking to you at those moments um, or after, after that time period, you met with leaders who actually took your words and your story along with others and made a difference. They were very instrumental in the formation of the New South Sudan. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Indeed, and and my hope is that I, I really pray on the South Sudan, and by the way, I wish you could just give me South Sudan, my new country, of which I went back uh, right after in, its independence in 2011. I witnessed the independence of South Sudan on July 9, 2011. I was there in that exact day in the biggest crowd. I, 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 I just seen the tears, you know, dropping from every eye of the South Sudanese with excitement and happiness for finally being free at last, as, as uh, Martin Luther King says. So basically, uh, South Sudan become an independent and sovereignty 
But now there's still a lot of things happening. We still need the prayers of, 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 of Christian community. We still need the prayers of the world. We still need the leadership to intervene into the problems that are still uh, happening there. It is not an external aggression from any other country with South Sudan as an independent sovereignty, but there is a war within itself that needs also a prayers and really help. Uh, yes. Let me get back to that just a second. So the United States supported and helped make possible the new South Sudan. Is that correct? The U.S. was the biggest, you know, uh, key player. U.S. done everything, sponsoring and providing all the logistical uh, needs uh, for the South Sudanese rebels and South and the Sudanese government then to ease the the process of the peace in 2005 in the Russia Kenya a referendum successfully where South Sudanese voted 99 point something percent for the for the favor uh, favor of secession to becoming an independent country and the flag of South Sudan was hosted here in Wash in uh, not in Washington excuse me in New York. As a member of the United Nations in 2011, number 193, and and America has played um, a greater role. And and, and I'm, this is one of the reasons I say now why again now America elected South Sudan in 2000. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. So then that was the Bush administration. South Sudan gets launched. Um, it, it's a clear support from the world, but especially with the United States leading the charge. To, to support this new country. I believe I saw photos where Colin Powell visited. Um, prior to that, you also spoke with him, and he used the words genocide, which were, you know, it's, it's rare that that's used. So your influence was huge and important. But then the administration changes, and then what yes. happens? <laughs> Well, the administration uh, changes, and uh, it changes uh, as a, a normalcy way of uh, uh, transfer of powers in America, and this is what America, the beautiful nation on earth, uh, where democracy is always there and everyone will respect it. And, uh, of course, after Bush uh, Jr. left the office, uh, after his exhausting his tenure of eight years in the office in Washington, Thing changes after his predecessor, and uh, I'm not going to talk about the detail of what that president and what that administration have done to South Sudan. In my knowledge, I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything except that I, I have been hearing my leaders in South Sudan because I was in South Sudan in 2011 until uh, November 2016. I returned to USA. Been complaining about America. America is not with us. The, the, the President of Barack was not with them. I don't know what happened, but again, my thank you still goes to the uh, Republican Party and goes to the Bush, uh, Bush Jr. and his administration then, because he had done everything in his power at the time to make sure that peace had been signed and then the referendum had been conducted freely. And people of South Sudan determined their own fate to becoming their own country. And uh, 2011 was the witness of the new country called South Sudan, Republic of South Sudan. Uh, so today, uh, the U.S. seemed to be reluctant about the South Sudan, or rather complaining about the leadership that is there. But I don't know how you work 
the hard labor of the U.S. people from all walks of life, the government, the, 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 you know, the religious groups and others who have actually contributed through humanitarian, through lobby, through everything that we have done. You cannot just, you know, one night forget all that great thing you have done. So I'm really urging, and I hope that uh, the new administration uh, of our new president, um, uh, Donald uh, J. Trump, will actually revive this relationship of South Sudan and Washington because there is really a need. There is a need that America had invested a lot on South Sudan. And if you look at the South Sudanese, majority of the lost boys and the lost girls, and the lost boys and the lost girls are the boys and girls who were at age of 11 or 10 or even younger were taken, you know, to, to liberate the area with the SPLA, Sudan People's Liberation Army. Some of them later on become an army as child soldiers, and they got the opportunity to come here in, in early 2000s. Now a lot of them are doctors, medical doctors, uh, philosophy doctors, and they all went back to South Sudan helping. So uh, it is to America. America has given us all that opportunity. So I don't know why America could turn their back on us. We need the new administration to revive the, 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 the relationship between the current leadership in South Sudan and look how they can help to uh, help that country get back to its feet because uh, the economy almost to nearly collapsing, uh, almost uh, ethnic war uh, has been ongoing within the country. So these are the things that we need, the immediate intervention from the U.S. government by doing something that uh, pleases the South Sudanese masses, but not individuals that may be talking somewhere in Washington, trying to confuse the entire story of where the ordinary citizens are suffering every single day. So it, it pains me as someone who really complained very hard to see my people are suffering when we have our own country. Uh, and, and this is only within our own um, South Sudanese that we are fighting among ourselves. And nobody coming to say, why are you fighting? What do you need help with? You know, so U.S. Is the, has a strong voice and have a strong arm and can do both. And I think it's real important that you distinguish that there are no outside enemies to South Sudan, only Sudan the country to the north of you is the enemy of South Sudan. And, and do I have that correct? It, the enemy of South Sudan that we knew was Sudan then. But Sudan now, we don't have any problem. They are not fighting us. We are not fighting each other anymore. We want to be the, the good neighbors with them. Although our relationship with them as a neighboring country and sister country, we say we are not clearly close by to each other, and that can be worked on. But I'm talking the South Sudan itself, as an independent country, has its own problems. And its own internal problems are the ones that we need help with. Because in 2010, there was a war that erupted between the, 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 the first vice president and the president, because the first vice president, before the the end of the presidency tenure, he actually declared himself he wanted to be president. Uh, and he didn't want to wait for the elections 
to be conducted in 2005, which was already gone. So he launched a coup, and during that process of the coup, he was spelled out of the country. He left. The peace was negotiated in Addis Ababa in, 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 in 2005 in August. The, 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 the agreement was reached. And then again, the same first by a president came, and it was actually reinstated for his position until again in uh, July 2016, he launched another uh, coup attack. And coup attempt that he had launched made him being spelled out from the country, and the war escalates like almost a tribal war. But it's not really tribal, but it's only one Greek leader with other leaders that are agitating this. It sounds like Sudan needs assistance with transitioning power. We, we need transition power. Well, what we need first now is the peace, you know, to have to silence the gun in every corner of South Sudan and to rescue the masses that are suffering and dying from, uh, you know, anger, starvation, because there's no food. Um, and uh, humanitarian is really needed in South Sudan and every corner, and particularly the areas that have been... Um, uh, destroyed during this war, the Greater Upper Niles and Greater Equatorial Area and Greater Balkazar, all these areas are, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, vulnerable now after the long three years of war there. So we need, that mm-hmm. is the part, humanitarian part. The political solution also needs to be rich. And uh, the leaders, uh, the presidents of Faki, who's there, uh, need support from the U.S. how we can deal with these you know, every tribe actually rebel and say, my tribe been uh, marginalized, and everyone demanding. Uh, I don't know, everybody want to be a president. So I don't know how many presidents we could have at <laughs> once. There's only one president at a time. But if the U.S. and other uh, superpower nation cannot intervene, and then we will witness another uh, genocidal in our watch. Slowly but gradually it will break out. And then economy has actually... Um, completely nearly to collapse because the the money are being diverted for war, fighting ourselves, you know, mm. but they are not being a, a channel for uh, development and they are not being channeled to assist the, 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 the civil populations uh, or roads, infrastructures, schools and health care, not on that. So, uh, and people are fleeing to the country. They are leaving to a neighboring country. This is another problem that we really, really need uh, the U.S. government, and I hope that we'll help our friends, uh, our good friend. I know there are many powerful Americans there, uh, NGOs, you know, or advocacy like this. We really need to have the opportunity, some of me, to, to, to see the new administration, to talk to them what, what they can really do to help, because there's no way that America could just underline uh, everything abandoning what they have done and cultivate themselves. Without America help and American government, South Sudan would have not become a country of its own today. And people like me would have not been in this country. So this is yeah. all the great thing that there is a legacy. The South Sudan independence and achievements are all American legacies. So let's fast forward now to today. You've been there, you've helped um, get your country started. It's it's needing outside forces to help it. You're in the United States in Boston now. 
What can we do to help you? Well, I'm back here in the U.S. now. Of course, I used to have uh, my foundation, Francis Book Foundation. I used also to work uh, with many different NGOs. I was with the Sudan Sunrise, and I was with American Anti-Slavery Group uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, these organizations are either not that active now or doing something uh, a little bit slightly uh, different from what we were doing. Uh, the working in different countries. So I'm here back in Boston having a job, uh, looking for the job, and, um, and and that become very challenging. I don't know what job, and I always rely on my friends to help uh, with either it's speak engagement and also help with, uh, uh, with, with other opportunity, including um, a scholarship. I really need to go back to college. Uh, and in fact, I'm anticipating to enroll back in college uh, sometime uh, this fall uh, year in Boston. Uh, having a family that is another extra burden, uh, which I don't have, uh, you know, uh, a way to support them. So, and I have uh, beautiful boys that are uh, 11 and uh, nine years old, want to be turning 10 years old. And the other one will be attending uh, 12 years old in August and one in March here. They are just here, and I'm not able to support them simply because I've been away from the country six years. And being away and coming back to America is, is really tough to adjust back to American way of life. Uh, so you need accommodation, you need uh, mobility, you need a job. and you need. So this is what I really wanted to reach out and stress to my friends uh, across the, the the continent here and also uh, in this great uh, country. And I appreciate uh, you, Daddy Lancer, for having this, uh, you know, scheduling this opportunity for me. And I want to thank very, very much from the uh, bottom of my heart uh, with humility, our good host, uh, for hosting us and giving us a platform uh, on this, uh, you know, to, 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 to really share and, get to greet my people that I haven't met and haven't talked to or haven't heard from me from several years that I've been absent. So this is more of really stressing out in any way that people could come to my help. And then the bigger help, I really need them to know South Sudan was a region then. South Sudan was a small place that nobody knew much about it, but South Sudan today has its own flag and has its own country called the Republic of South Sudan and had its own challenges as we speak, and those challenges need us again, need us again from all walks of life, and it's our obligation as we committed before to recommit it and doing the same thing today because I, I cannot watch South Sudan collapsing and then becoming uh, like other countries like Somalia. Oh, that will be very dangerous uh, to allow to happen. So I'm really urging the new administration under uh, Purdue leadership of uh, Mr. Donald Trump to really help the South Sudanese and help to have a political settlement being reached between the leaders that are warring among themselves and to actually prevent the escalation and total uh, breakout of tribal war that is almost now what we hear in South Sudan and to help also rescue the, 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 the needy the needy masses of South Sudanese who are uh, facing many things, you know, anger, 
diseases and uh, you know country that is uh, no roads there's never been any infrastructure it's a brand new country who just emerged out to become a nation of their own and then got themselves into problem within themselves alone for several years, so there has never been any developmental projects in the area. So I'm really urging again for America and the lobbyists and those who have stood with us not to be confused by the few elites, few individuals that have their own egos, who want to be president, who want to do what, who are lobbying in D.C. and lobbying across the U.S. and confusing the U.S. leadership and the U.S. people so that nobody knows exactly what happened in South Sudan and what is happening in South Sudan today. I just, as I said, I just returned from South Sudan. I had been there for six years. I know exactly what happened since December 2013 to the date that I left South Sudan on the on the 25th of November 2016 to the U.S. It so there to is me, a, uh, yes. I said much like young adult. It's a, it's a country, but it's also like young adult children. It needs yes. stewardship, and it needs a strong figure, a father figure, a parent figure to help guide yes. it into its existence. And much like teens and young adults, they think they're grown up, but they need that strong role, that guidance in their life, and I hope we can be that. The other thing I wanted that, to comment on is we always hear the United States saying, we'll go to war for oil or or freedom, or, you know, they couch us in – these reasons we choose which country to support or which country to back up or whether or not we're going to engage with them. And I would say, I hope in these next um, generations and starting today that we understand that human capital is the most valuable of all capital in the world. It's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than natural resources and oil and things like that. Because you're an example of that. The doctors, you talked about the lost boys that heal people. We are losing that. And I would say, I hope our change in perspective from this point over, this point forward, is that we stop being, as the United States, a bit of a spoiled adult child and gathering all of our things and our possessions. And I think we should spread out and realize people love, compassion, and children are the most valuable assets in the world, and we need to support them. If every mind in the world was able to be free and heard like yours, we would have solutions to cancer, to war, to to other problems that we have, but we're not letting that happen. And I bless and challenge with all my heart that this is the beginning of a shift in perspective and through your eyes and your mouth that it will be so. Yes, well, Donnie, yes, let me, yes. let me just interject something here real quick. Um, you know, I understand Francis uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you do go out and do speeches and, and educate and all of that. Correct. Yes. I, I actually was, uh, one before I left in 2011, I was, uh, Mm-hmm. Very much busy, and I used to crisscross the West and East and all over and South of the United States and even outside the United States doing speeches. But after I just returned back recently, I haven't done any. 
And this is one of the great opportunities that I just want to thank you so very much for giving me this platform. Maybe it will actually reintroduce me back to my audience and to the, those who used to supported me. Right, and and for the benefit of our listeners, and and perhaps you know someone will listen to this down the road or or whenever, um, who may be able to hire you for a speaking engagement. What specific specific topics do you address? Uh, this is very interesting questions. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a former slave, as we talked briefly in early interview of this uh, conversation. Um, I'm a former slave, and usually what I usually share then, it is a combination of both my previous experience and also the experience after I became a free man uh, and how my life changed uh, today. This is what we used to, I used to talk about a long time ago. Today, it depends um, in the interest, interest of my audience uh, interest of my listeners because I am uh, a multiple task and I think that I could speak about anything that really um, there is no silly question I will tell my um, you know uh, audience you know you can ask any question that people want to ask about the current political um, you know um, atmosphere there I can respond to that they want to talk about victim they want to talk about humanitarian they want to talk about my experiences of which I would go by detail more uh, detailed than what we have done today or anything that comes up. So basically I'm available to respond uh, to all these uh, complex um, uh, questions. Should the Francis, you could probably speak to this uh, debate on immigration as well as um, your experience as a refugee. That 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 would be interesting. Actually, I haven't commented anything about this in the people I've been just reading and watching uh, televisions and just seeing everything that's happening. I'm sure you're talking about the recent, um, uh, you know, development about the refugees and and single of some of the countries out of this. I I haven't commented on this at all. Uh, not on social media, not even in any conversation with anybody, because I felt that it is for me, uh, if I were to speak about it, then I have to have a platform to speak more in-depth on how I feel about it and how it uh, impacts me and others. And so I would be happy to talk about that either. Great. Well, how would how would someone get in touch with you? And as we're winding down the hour, um, we need some contact information so that again, if someone who's listening to this can offer you um, the opportunity that you're looking for, how would they get a hold of you? And, um, and Dottie, you need to give your contact information as well. Okay. Uh, I think Dottie will be really, uh, for now, if she doesn't mind, she would be the quickest person that people could get a hold of her and get a hold of me. And I will provide my contact uh, also. And uh, we trust you. We can, uh, if you don't mind, you know, if people could reach us, uh, reach me through you, um, you still have my contact and I will be happy also to have that opportunity. Of course, it's a bigger responsibility for following up and other things, but Dottie and I are here, 
I'll be gladly to provide my um, uh, direct contacts at this point. Great. Well, anyone can reach me directly. Well, actually through Delilah at imaginepublicity.com or my website, dottylaster.com. I'm also on Facebook. And um, where else am I? LinkedIn. Uh, you can reach me any of those places at D-O-T-T-I-E-L-A-S-T-E-R and DottieLaster.com. And, Francis, um, do you have an email address or a, a I, Facebook? I have. It's, it is my first name and my last name, or locations, Francis Book with you, not the O. Uh, Francis, F-R-N-C-I-S, B-U-K, at gmail.com. That is uh, my most active. Every second I can get email through it. And then my telephone is 781-469-8593. Of course, I'm on Facebook, too, um, uh, which I'm... uh, but but that's the most uh, reliable way to get any context. It's, it's more and better. Wonderful. Delilah, do you want to wrap up? Yeah, I just want to thank both of you for spending this hour and having such a wonderful conversation about the issues in the world that most people don't think about. I think, you know, uh, unfortunately, we're spoiled as people here. And we take so much for granted. And when we hear conversations like this about what's going on in other parts of the world and how people are suffering and, um, and how they overcome, I think that, you know, Francis, your story is, is one of hope. It's one of, of how you overcame all of the obstacles that you were up against. And I appreciate everything that you were able to share with us today. So I just encourage anyone out there who, um, you know, has, has a heart for this issue to please make contact and let's um, spread the word. So this is it for another episode of Imagine Publicity on Air, and we will be seeing you next time.